This morning, um, we, we get to round out 2019 with a standalone message. It's Family Sunday as well, so we've got the kids with us. I'm excited to have the kids in here with us. Kids, we'll, we'll try and uh, keep this very practical and engaging for you as well. This, this message is, I think, hopefully really uh, applicable and relevant for all of us, uh, down from the four and five-year-olds all the way up to the mature saints. But you know, typically, this, this last Sunday of the year is one of the most sparsely attended um, in any church, and so I'm excited to see you. We've even had to open the balcony up this morning. This is great. Hopefully, we get some momentum going into two services here in January. Um, you know, between holiday traveling, between many of us, myself included, struggling with, with illnesses this time of year, uh, and then frankly, because the, the church has in some ways acquiesced to uh, just kind of this being a hibernation Sunday after Christmas or whatever, sometimes jokingly call this Associate Pastor Sunday um, because of how many lead pastors take this Sunday off each year. Uh, it's kind of how I got my start here at, at West Hills on uh, the Sunday between Christmas and New Year when Gary would take off. But when Thad asked me if he should plan to, to stick in town and preach, I said, no way. You go visit your family. This is one of my favorite Sundays of the year uh, to preach, and not just because I'm used to it by now. Um, <laughs> New Year's is my favorite holiday. I, I love celebrating new beginnings. That's why I love baptisms so much. Uh, maybe we just make this a baptism Sunday going forward, and that'll help with, with the attendance, because we all should love the idea of new beginnings. I mean, it, it's certainly, especially born-again Christians, love new beginnings. 2 Corinthians 5.17 reminds us, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What a beautiful promise. Jesus wipes our slates clean when we turn to him in faith. We read on in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, In Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Colossians 2.14 says, Jesus canceled the record of debt that stood against us by nailing it to the cross. And so just like Jesus wiped our spiritual slates eternally clean, uh, when we came to him in faith, I, I love this idea of sort of an annual slate cleaning at New Year's and, and, and do over and start over and start fresh. 2019 is soon to be over. It's behind us. No matter how amazing or how terrible 2019 may have been for you, as it were, um, in either case, it's soon to be in the past. And we have a unique opportunity this morning to spend some time simply reflecting uh, together on the past, but more importantly, taking stock of the present as we look ahead to the future year to come, 2020, both individually, personally, as well as collectively together as a church. And that's what we see David doing in our text for this morning in Psalm 119. David says uh, in verse 59, when I think on my ways, I turn my feet to, the God, to God's testimony. So often, I think especially around the holidays, we get so caught up in the hustle and the bustle and the busyness of life that we don't take time to pause for half a minute and think on our ways, take stock of life, do some self-reflection, get our bearings and course correct. I mean, we've all heard the sayings, if you're one degree off from LA to Hawaii, you end up in North Korea or somewhere awful. Um, we all know the importance of pausing to sharpen the ax, right, from time to time. Uh, stop chopping and sharpen the axe. It'll make you so much better and more efficient. But amidst the demands of our busy schedules, we sometimes get stuck with our heads down, chopping away, and we forget to do that, to stop and come up for air so we can think on our ways and turn our feet back to the Lord accordingly. And so 
This morning, we're just going to spend some time uh, together taking stock, sharpening our axes, setting our collective sights back on the Lord together. So would you stand with me as you're able uh, for the reading of God's Word together? I actually, um, I'll encourage us, we'll do it a little differently this morning. I'd actually, I'd love to have us um, read uh, this, these, this passage of Scripture from Psalm 119 together, starting in verse 57. We'll, we'll be reading from the ESV on the screen uh, 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 in front of you. Uh, if you would read aloud with me, that'd be wonderful. The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. At midnight, I arise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. God, you tell us it's a, it's a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our paths. Father, we need guidance from you this morning, so we pray as we uh, study and we seek to, especially this morning, practically apply some of the truths, some of the, the calls, the c- commands, the exhortations of your word uh, personally in our lives uh, more faithfully in, in, in the coming year. God, we pray uh, that this would not be out of a, a spirit of self-righteousness, self-justification, but simply out of loving obedience to your calling on our hearts this morning. Father, that you would be glorified as your people uh, respond to your love for us with love of you and love of others. Uh, for your glory we pray. Amen. You can be seated again. Uh, so this morning, as I said, I'm going to use Psalm 119 as sort of a launch point, and our exposition will, will actually focus more around five other groupings of passages that are all unified around this theme in verse 59 there of thinking on our ways, turning back to the Lord. But first, let's, let's not rush too quickly past Psalm 119, this beautiful passage of Scripture. Uh, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the entire Bible, 176 verses, and the entire thing is devoted to praising God for the gift of his word, for Scripture. David says, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path, verse 105. He says, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, verse 11. He says, I hope in your words. Your word is truth, he says. He says, my heart stands in all of your words. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great treasure. On and on and on, uh, every verse declaring the majesty of God's word. And we see that in our excerpt for this morning that we just read. And starting in verse 57 again, because the Lord is my portion, I promise to keep your words. God, you're my portion. You're enough for me. Like we sang this morning, Christ is enough. Your word is sufficient for me, and so I commit myself to keeping it. Verse 58, I understand that it is only by keeping your word, Lord, that 
I can entreat your favor with all my heart, that I can come to you and ask you to be gracious to me according to your promise. Because Psalm 51.2 says, or Psalm, sorry, Psalm 5.12 uh, says, you bless the righteous, O Lord, you cover him with favor as a shield, but of the wicked, God says in Proverbs 11.21, be assured, an evil person will not go unpunished. And so therefore, David says in verse 60, I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. He says, regardless of my circumstances, verse 61, he says, though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. There's no excuse for ignoring God's word. Moreover, verse 62, at midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. When was the last time you set your alarm so you could wake up in the middle of the night just to squeeze in a few more songs of praise for God's rules. Does that describe anyone else's devotional life? If so, please don't tell me because I'm the pastor and you will put me to shame. I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be kind of be leading the way here. I have never set an alarm to wake up in the middle of the night just to squeeze in more of God's praises. Talk about 2020 goals. Uh, verse, verse 63, David says, I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. He says, furthermore, I'm going to go out of my way to hang out with people who also keep God's word, who encourage me and spur me on to love God more. Why? Because verse 64, the earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. And, and that's what I want to talk about a little bit more uh, before we dive in this morning is, is th those, that, those, that paradox between those two things. The Lord is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. That seems like a disconnect to us because all too often in Christianity, we, we bifurcate those two. God's love and his law, and we pit them against each other and, and view them oppositionally. We do that with so many of the most difficult but most essential paradoxes of the faith. I think of Charles Spurgeon's uh, famous quote when he was asked, you know, Spurgeon, how do you reconcile human free will with God's sovereign election? And Spurgeon replied, you don't have to reconcile friends. Uh, similarly, when it comes to God's love and his law, we're so quick to fall off the horse on either one side or the other. And so we either become legalist and we become obsessed with the law for its own sake, not just as an, as an expression of God's love, uh, but rather we try and use it to self-justify. God, teach me your statutes so I can look down on others who don't keep them as well and feel better about myself and unconsciously seek to uh, uh, win, earn your love and approval by my own righteousness, and we turn into 21st century Pharisees, or we fall off the other side of the horse and we become antinomians, literally anti-law. We oppose God's law thinking we do so in favor of his love instead. It's all about grace, but we ignore Jesus' reminder from John 14 that uh, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him. And so because God's love and his law are two sides of the same coin. It's not an either or, but a both and. There's, there is a direction, however, to this love-law relationship. Biblically, love always precedes law biblically. That's why we always want to center on the gospel here at West Hills. We glory in the truth that it is not our ability to keep the law that earns us God's love, but rather Romans 5.8 as we... As, uh, 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 we read already this morning, God showed his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that truth plays out all throughout scripture. God chooses Abraham in love before he calls him to make a covenant and obedience. God in love rescues the Israelites from slavery in Egypt before he delivers the law on Mount Sinai. In love, God sends us Jesus before
before he challenges us to keep his commandments and love him back. But even though love always precedes law, we will miss the mark as a church if our centering on the gospel means we only ever teach the gospel on Sunday mornings. On the contrary, uh, if we don't want to disregard Paul's exhortation in Acts 20:27 20, to declare the full counsel of God. We want to be a church that is so grounded in the gospel that we are able to actually build on top of that foundation and challenge one another, spur one another on to love and good deeds, to respond to God's love with our own love as evidenced in John 14:21 by keeping God's law in obedience. And so I'll warn you just in in advance before we really ramp up. This morning may feel a little heavier on the law for some of you. Some of you with the tendency towards legalism are going to love it. You're going to be tempted to take this sermon and and turn it into five steps to getting God to love me more. That's not it. But you antinomians are going to be tempted to write the whole thing off and send me an angry email tomorrow about how Christianity isn't about a list of to-dos. It's about grace, Ephesians 2. It's by grace we're saved through faith, yes. And Paul continues on in verse 10, we're created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're saved to serve. We're loved to follow the law. God's love ought to lead us to lovingly keeping his law. And so I want to give you this morning five spiritual disciplines that are worthy of your resolving to keep in 2020. We just wrapped up our Advent series, Tis the Season. Well, New Year's, Tis the Season for resolutions, isn't it? I know that's kind of come into disfavor recently. A lot of people have become jaded and skeptical these days about the whole idea of making New Year's resolutions. Listen, the problem isn't with making them, right? Can we agree on that? It's a great idea to resolve to do something that's worth doing. It's a biblical idea. Psalm 119, think on your ways and turn your feet accordingly. The problem isn't with resolving. It's with resolving and then not following through, right? If you don't like the idea of New Year's resolutions, I suspect you've never had a problem making them. I'm betting you have a problem keeping them, right? And so you got sick of paying the $70 every month for the gym membership you never used, so you decided the gym was stupid and you quit. It's not the gym's fault. The gym was a great idea. The problem's not the resolution. You got tired of throwing away entire heads of kale when inevitably you'd buy them and and bring them back and stop, never eat them, stop wasting your money. The problem wasn't wasn't the decision to buy the kale. Actually, in that case, it was. That's a bad example because kale is disgusting. Don't resolve to eat more kale in 2020. It's disgusting. Life is too short for that. The Apostle Paul encourages us to train ourselves for godliness For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Sure, train your body. Resolve to work out more. Do it. Even eat more kale if you have to. Train your mind. Train your mind. Resolve to put, put down your phone, pick up a book in 2020. But if you want to invest your time and energy in this coming year in such a way that you will reap eternal rewards, friends, then you've got to train for godliness. And for that, we have to turn to the spiritual disciplines. There's dozens all throughout Scripture, but I just want to focus on five this morning. And with each, I want to do three things, okay? Number one, I want to impress upon us the importance, biblically, of the spiritual discipline. Number two, I want to offer you a few different possible application points, specific ideas for implementation of that discipline in your daily life. 
Nothing, again, legalistic here. I'm not saying do this or you're a bad Christian or something like that. Just some ideas. There's nothing worse, I think, than a preacher telling you to go do this, do that, without giving you any tangible uh, direction or guidance in how to actually go and live it out in your daily weekly life. And so I want to try and make this sermon really practical for us this morning. And then speaking of tangible, number three, uh, you'll see the cards that got passed out with your bulletins. Uh, I've given you a, hopefully a helpful tool for ongoing self-evaluation throughout the year so you can pause at various points throughout 2020 when you inevitably get off track, as you will. That's why we never get too far from, from the gospel because uh, we're in constant need of God's grace. So we'll keep coming back to the gospel. But I want us also to be able to return to this morning's resolutions and rethink on your ways and return your feet back to God's word when you need to. One of my favorite uh, sort of mini, mini sermon series that my predecessor at West Hills, uh, Pastor Geary, did was entitled 15 Reasons Why You Should Be With the Gathered Church Every Sunday in 2018. And he passed out very similar little, little index cards uh, for us and had us to, th- to think and pray on and physically write down a number there in the blank, resolving that I will be in church with the uh, corporately worshiping with the gathered church, blank Sundays out of 52 uh, in, in, in this year. And then he encouraged us to leave those cards in our Bibles and then use that and revisit that as a commitment throughout the year. Let that motivate us on the Sundays when we're tempted to just hit the snooze button because they will come. I heard from so many of you how impactful that uh, sermon series and especially that pledge card was. That's empowering, right? So I figured, why stop with corporate worship? Man, let's build on it and shoot for five spiritual disciplines in 2020. So here we go. Uh, resolution number one, church is a good place to start. Just quickly recap Gary's sermon series from two years ago, be with the church. Be with the church. Notice I didn't say come to church. Church isn't a building. I didn't say attend church. Church isn't a meeting. I very intentionally encourage you to be with the church in 2020. The church is any gathering of God's people for the express purpose of corporately worshiping him. And according to God's word, it's really, really important for us to do that. Hebrews 10, 24, 25 says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day drawing near, that's the day of the Lord's return uh, that we just studied in November with Mark chapter 13. And remember, things are gonna get way worse before they get way better when Jesus comes back. And so all the more reason to commit to gathering together weekly with God. God's people, God's collective light in an otherwise dark world, a world that sometimes seems to chew Christians up and spit us out six days a week. One day a week, we get to carve out to come be with God's people for encouragement, Hebrews says, to be stirred up to love and good works. Sunday mornings are a pep rally. It's a joyful occasion to be with God's people. And I'll just uh, quickly steal five of, I uh, don't have time for all 15, but five of Gary's 15 reasons biblically he offered us for why we should be with the church every Sunday. Number one, Jesus modeled it. Jesus modeled it, Luke 4.16, and Jesus came to Nazareth uh, where he'd been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Jesus went to church. Number two, the early church practiced it. Acts chapter two, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers, and day by day, attending the temple together. They praise God and have favor with all the people. Number three, the love of God compels it. 
Jesus gave us a new commandment in John 13. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, your church attendance is an apologetic to the unbelieving world. Especially when church gets such a bad rap. Why would you do that? You know, that, that, that's countercultural, and then it invites a conversation. I'll tell you why. Here's a card, right? The love of God compels it. Number four, our new identity assumes it. Ephesians 2.19, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, Paul says. I used that analogy last week. We're no longer refugees left without a home, without a country. Paul says Christ has made us citizens. He's adopted us into his family and made us citizens now of heaven. And the church is like an embassy. It's an outpost for us as we walk this earth as foreigners in exile, waiting to go home. The church is our home away from home. Number five, the spirit within you yearns for it. 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells within you? And yet, God's spirit that is within you individually yearns to be together with God's spirit that is within us collectively in a fundamentally different way when we gather corporately in Christ's name. Ephesians 2.22 says, In Christ, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit because Jesus promised us in Matthew 18.20 where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them in a different kind of way. You don't get that if you miss out on church. And friends, there are at least 10 other great reasons like it. Uh, we can repost Gary's sermons if we want, but I'll just remind you of one other that I mentioned in my Advent sermon on joy uh, two weeks ago. It's fun. Again, it's, it's a pep rally. Church for the believer is fun. It's a joyful occasion. Where else would you possibly want to be Sunday morning at 10 a.m. when the doors are open? If it's not fun, someone's not doing it right. It's either your problem, your attitude you're bringing in, or me. And I'm doing something wrong because Jesus said that he came, that our joy may be made full together, John 15. And when we come together to celebrate him in ways we can't simply do on our own, that's a joyful thing. So your tangible application point for um, this first resolution of being with the church, it's pretty easy, not going to get too creative. Nike said it best. Just do it. Just do it. Be here. Drive a stake in the ground. Let Sundays in 2020 be non-negotiable for you. Be here. When, when have you ever regretted being here? I mean, seriously, if that's a thing, if you were walking away thinking, well, that was a waste of time. I wish I had slept in. That would have been a better use of time. I doubt that happens to you often. I, I bet you're, even on the, the days when it's hard to drag yourself out of bed, when it's cold and rainy, overcast, you're glad you did it. And I can dis definitively say that we're glad you did it. We are glad when you're here. It's not the same without you. If you don't do it selfishly for your own joy, do it for my joy. I, I feel it when you're not here. I notice. I don't say that in like a guilt-inducing way. I don't say that in, in, in like a big brother, creepy kind of way. I say that in like the way that I would say if Polly and I sat down for family dinner and Ellery wasn't there. Like there'd be a hole. We'd be missing part of the family. And we feel that. Um, and, and, and I get it. I mean, some of y'all are watching this online later, right? We got a lot of people traveling, a lot of sinners. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Vacation, I'm kidding. Vacations are important. Being with your biological family is important. Missing church is okay. Go to church with your family wherever they are. Uh, but, but hurry home because time with your spiritual family is important too. Don't deprive us of your presence with, 
with us here on Sundays. Same goes for life group during the week, your Bible studies, discipleship groups. Make your gatherings with God's people priorities in your life in 2020. And I guarantee you, money back guarantee. I'll give you your tithe back. Money back guarantee, I will be grateful you, you, you will be grateful you did it. You'll be better for it. And so resolution with this first one uh, that you see on your, your little pledge card there, and that's for you to keep. That's to go in your Bible. That's between you and the Lord. We're not taking these pledge cards up and we're holding you to giving this much percent or whatever. That's just for you and the Lord. I commit to worshiping together with God's people blank Sundays out of 52 in, in 2020. How many will you be with God's, uh, God's people here at church? Resolution number two, study scripture in the new year. Consume God's word regularly. We've already examined what Psalm uh, 119 has to say about the importance of this spiritual discipline of routinely feasting on God's word. Many of y'all know so many of the other classic texts on this, 2 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. All scripture is is God-breathed, profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, training, and righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul says overlooking God's inspired word, literally his breathed out word, will leave you an incomplete person. That's a, that's a strong, powerful description of the importance of scripture in our daily lives. You can't be a whole person without it if this discipline isn't, isn't in your life regularly. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night that you may be careful to do According to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. To a certain extent, all the other resolutions you'll make for 2020 hinge on this one, making your way prosperous, having good success. That's what we all want, right? Success. How do we get it? The Bible says you internalize God's word. You want success, meditate on God's word such that you can live by it. Obedience over time becomes part of your default way of operating in the world. That's how you be successful. And there's dozens more passages we could highlight, but I think most of us know, right, that we ought to be studying scripture. And so if we aren't doing it, perhaps the breakdown is with, number two, our our failed attempts at putting this discipline into practice. And so let me quickly hit some practical tips for your Bible study in the new year. Number one, don't bite off more than you can chew. If you've never read all the way through the New Testament, don't resolve to read through the entire Bible in 2020. If you've never finished a book of the Bible, don't resolve uh, to read through the New Testament until you've, you've, you've done that. Make that your goal. Don't set yourself up for failure by, by going to the gym after years and years of, of ignoring it and loading up you know, the barbell with weights and then killing yourself. Right? Start small, get a win under your belt, finish a few shorter books of the Bible, and build momentum as you go. Secondly, read books of the Bible at a time. Devotional resources have their place. These resources where you're reading a few verses of Scripture and then a lot of kind of flowery commentary uh, on it, that's fine. Uh, but I think you will find over the long haul it's actually uh, more difficult for you to stay committed to that kind of devotional study because you're constantly jumping around all over the place. There's not the, the consistency. I mean, if you're ADD like me, that, that doesn't keep your attention. There's consistency to getting, digging into a sustained study of an entire book of the Bible at once, reading all the way through. And plus, you're getting more of the meat of Scripture that way than you do with a devotional. And one of the best ways to develop an appetite for Scripture 
is to eat it, is to study it, consume it, not in tiny bites, but in whole meals. Dig in. A third tip is to learn, the, learn to discern the difference between skimming and, and passages that deserve a full read and passages that deserve to be meditated on. <coughs> I've said this before. I love uh, God's word as much as the next believer. And I believe that all scripture is God-breathed and it's useful, but that does not make every part of it equally meaning-filled. The genealogies are important and they are there for a reason, but that doesn't mean I'm memorizing them. That's a skim for me. Listen, I'm the pastor. If I try and meditate on the genealogies, I'm giving up. That's not what some of those passages of scripture are there for. Some of them are there to be skimmed. And I I shared, uh, by contrast, my reflection on Christmas Eve uh, from John 3.16. Without a doubt, when you're studying through the Gospel of John and you come to chapter 3, verse 16, it ought to stop you in your tracks. You ought to lay down your Bible and just pray and ponder and spend significant time with John 3.16. But then, you know, when we we study Genesis together, uh, here coming up in, in, in March we'll see there's big chunks of, of Genesis that are simply readable. All of it's worth reading, if not you know, skimmable. But what you'll find is that the more you study Scripture, the more you begin to discover that new passages that you used to breeze over suddenly seem to be worthy of deeper reflection. That's a beautiful thing about God's Word, right? Uh, that it's so simple that my three-year-old can grasp the basic trajectory of, of the story of Scripture, and she can even grasp many of the stories within the story, for that matter. And yet it's so complex, and it's so awesome and wonderful that the most brilliant minds in history have studied their entire lives and never uncovered all of the Bible's depth and meaning and beauty. And so dig in in 2020. Number four, read it in community. Practical tip, read in community, both for accountability Uh, Some of you don't need to drop your gym membership. You need to invite a friend who will come with you and call you out when you're tempted to skip out on leg day. But, But also, studying in community, similarly, increases our understanding, too. Uh, it's accountability, but it's also increasing understanding. Our life group this year has been reading through the New Testament. Uh, my discipleship group uh, will, will begin next week reading through the Old Testament together every single week without fail. Those folks in my life who I'm reading alongside, they're finding things, j- hidden gems that God has buried in his word that I have never seen in 10, 15, 20 times having read through the Bible I've missed. It's remarkable. But we miss out on those gems if we simply resolve to read alone. So don't read alone. Read in community. And lastly, number five, uh, have a plan for your Bible reading. Have a plan. There's not a one-size-fits-all plan. I'll give you uh, the one that I've used and we've used collectively here at West Hills for a few years now. It's called the five-day reading plan. Uh, I like it for a lot of reasons. Uh, We've got it at the info bar uh, right here through these double doors on your way out. Pick up a copy, stick it in your Bible, check it out. I like it. Uh, For starters, you read five days a week, so they just account uh, in advance for procrastinators like me uh, who need those, those two days a week to catch up. I also like that, that you get to read through the entire New Testament in one year, reading one, just one chapter a day. Anybody can read one chapter a day. That's five minutes. Uh, that'd be great, a great realistic goal for some of you in 2020, read through the New Testament. Others may be ready for the whole Bible in a year, and they give you the, the five-day reading plan, gives you the Old Testament and the New Testament readings uh, together, so you can pick or you can do both. They align the Old and New Testament, so you're reading Leviticus while you read Hebrews, and it makes sense. Uh, it's, it's, it's really cool. 
Highly recommend it. Um, Stop by and grab a copy on your way out. But what's it going to be for you? Again, there's not a one-size-fits-all. Check your note card there. Your resolution. I encourage you to set a realistic, tangible goal this morning. I will study blank books of the Bible in 2020. Maybe 66. Maybe the whole thing. Maybe 27, the New Testament. Maybe just do four. An in-depth study of the four Gospels this year. Join a Bible class like Steve Johnson and, and Mark Henderlongs who are in the middle of tackling the four Gospels right now as we speak. Hop right in in the middle. But prayerfully consider this morning how the Lord might be leading you to draw closer to him in the coming year as you listen for his voice through your study of his word. And, and speaking of prayer, prayerfully considering, that's resolution number three that's worth keeping. Pray constantly. Pray constantly. I thought about saying pray regularly, pray frequently, faithfully, but they all fall short of the mark that God sets for us when it comes to prayer in his word. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Romans 12.12, be constant in prayer. Ephesians 6.18, pray all the time. And so to that end, my first practical tip here for, for perhaps rethinking our prayer life in 2020 is don't bow your head and close your eyes and fold your hands nicely in your lap. Take everything your Sunday school teacher uh, taught you growing up and throw it out the window. You hear that, kids? Don't listen to them. The pastor is telling you, uh, don't bow your head, close your eyes, and and do the whole rigmarole. Maybe I'm, I'm overstating the point a little for emphasis, okay? And here's why. Because it's fine. It's great to assume, you know, prayerful posture position at those certain set aside times Uh, when you want to minimize distractions because you want to intentionally, exclusively focus on spending time with the Lord. That's a a good thing. But that's all prayer is, right? I mean, all prayer is, is spending time with the Lord. It's, it's, It's talking with God. And so obviously, if Paul's going to exhort us multiple times throughout his letters to pray constantly, we either have to conclude that Paul was over-exaggerating, which is dangerous when we start picking and choosing which parts, which commands of Scripture we're going to take seriously, or we, we have to admit that Paul actually meant it and that prayer doesn't always, always have to be this intentional, exclusive, every head bowed, every eye closed kind of thing, or else none of us could drive our cars or you know, have a day job or, or have relationships with other people, right? So what does he mean by prayer then? Some, some theologians refer to it as God consciousness. Right? Prayer is a constant awareness of God's presence and activity within your life. If you're a believer and the Holy Spirit really lives within you, it's an awareness that God is always there along for the ride. And so constant communication in some ways just makes the most sense if God is truly om- omnipresent and lives in you. He's there, so talk to him, all right? Be like taking a road trip with a friend and ignoring them, not talking. Like, it's weird. You know, he's, God's always there. He's along for the ride. Talk, communicate, uh, converse with God throughout your day. Maybe here's another practical tip. Don't, don't be afraid to appear crazy. Right? You remember the guy from uh, Braveheart uh, who everybody thinks is crazy because he's constantly just in the middle of an out loud ongoing conversation with the Almighty? The Almighty, you know. That guy gets it, all right? I mean, you, your prayer life doesn't have to be like that. Um, I, don't, I don't do that. Uh, but, but don't be afraid to. Be bold. Right? Be, be bold in the way that you approach your communication 
with God. A few more practical tips that help me. Number three, be reminded of God's call to pray at certain regularly recurring intervals. And so you're praying constantly, but you're also carving out special set-aside time throughout your day. Uh, Certainly when you wake up, make that a resolution in 2020 and watch how it changes your day before you do anything else, before your feet hit the ground in the morning, certainly before you check your phone. It's only going downhill. There's nothing but bad news that you're going you're gonna to find on your news feed, right? So before you do anything else, talk to God first thing in the morning. Make that a discipline. Make it a discipline while you're doing mindless tasks that don't require your conscious thoughts. Just sort of make that a, a habit for you while you're brushing your teeth, while you're showering, while you're, you're using the potty. Basically anything that, that involves the bathroom, right? Just, just make that prayer time. Prayer time in the bathroom, let that be extra time spent between you and the Lord. When you're riding in the car by yourself, turn off the radio sometimes. There's nothing good on it anyways. Talk with God instead. All all the old tried and true uh, prayer habits, before meals, before you go to bed at night, don't just find but make, carve out special set-aside times to resolve to spend time consciously drawing your focus back to the Lord. Another prayer tip, use the Acts model, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, There's different types of prayer in Scripture. Discipline yourself to reflect that in your own prayer life. Last tip for this one, probably the most important. Put down your phone. Put down the phone. If you do nothing else in 2020, put down the phone. Nothing has done more to kill the prayer lives of God's people in the last 10 years, 15, 20 years, than the smartphone. And I could probably and probably should preach a whole sermon on that, but I'm already running out of time this morning, so, so we'll move on. Your resolution with number three, I resolve to carve out how many minutes a day or occasions per day that, that you're going to carve out in 2020 to intentionally spend time with the Lord in prayer and communication. These last two, I'm sort of going to fly over um, because of time and because we've examined both of these in depth recently. So resolution number four is giving. Um, I've broken giving down into two separate categories there for you on your resolution card, both financial stewardship as well as active service, volunteering, talent and treasure, as we say in the church world. Uh, Because um, I'm simply going to refer you back, like I said, to some some recent messages I preached on uh, November 17th uh, entitled How Not to Give from Mark chapter 12, the parable, a passage of the widow's might. Sermon from July 7th entitled Six Reasons Not to Serve. Uh, Sorry, Six Reasons to Serve. Uh, How Not to Give Reasons to Serve. You should serve and give. Uh, And here's how you do it. And so those sermons are going to lay out for you both the biblical reasons as well as practical tips for your giving and your serving. But I still encourage you to resolve this morning, even if I'm not spending time on it again, resolve this morning. Take stock. Think on your ways. Turn your feet to the Lord. How much will you commit to give of your annual income in 2020? How much will you commit to serve in 2020, both inside the church, volunteering in a ministry, plugging in here, as well as outside, the food bank, the homeless shelter, your elderly neighbors across the street who need an extra hand? Commit to doing those things now. That's good and pleasing to the Lord. And finally, resolution number five, preach God's word. Preach God's word. Brothers and sisters, you ought to know and appreciate by now with all the emphasis that we've been putting on it here lately at West Hills. You can go back and listen to the message I preached called uh, Nothing But Leaves from October 20th. Um, 
message from Mark chapter 8, cost of discipleship from September 8th. Our benediction every single Sunday here at West Hills, we're constantly finding ways to drive home the point that I am not the only one who is called to preach here at West Hills. Amen? Ephesians 4.12 says, you pay me to equip the saints for the work of ministry. I'm the equipper. Y'all are the ministers. Y'all are the preachers. Mark 16.15 says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to all creation. Matthew 28.19, go and make disciples of all nations. Friends, let's make 2020 a year that we get serious about doing that together. Amen? Drive another stake in the ground this morning and resolve today. I'm going to tell, make it tangible. I'm going to tell this many people about Jesus in 2020. Set, set a bar. Pray, not in your own you know, ambitious flesh, whatever, but just because you know it glorifies God when his word goes forth to people who need to hear. I'll disciple this many people in 2020. Resolve in the spirit to do it. Evangelism and discipleship, telling people who don't know about Jesus and growing the ones who do up in his love and truth more. That's what God left us here to do. Let's make 2020 a year that is radically characterized by that and by all five of these spiritual disciplines for our edification and most of all, for God's glory, we pray. Amen. Let's pray. Friends, I want to give you a moment as we silently reflect and pray on the word that's been preached this morning. As you respond as the Holy Spirit leads you in your own heart, if that means taking out that little index card and beginning to pray over and think through and, and put pen to paper and tangibly resolve, write numbers this morning, as God is, is stirring and leading you, then do that. If you want to take that home, think about it, get mad about it, send me an email, pray about it more, and let the Spirit continue to work and convict you about the importance of not just stopping with the gospel, with God's love, but responding to God's love with our own love and obedience, then do that. Take that with you and pray on it more. But I want to give you just a moment to pray and begin to meditate on that uh, this morning.